With that said, take a look at Luke chapter 4. Um, I'll read verse 18. Actually, I'll read verse 19 too. There's only eight words in 19, so we'll include that. So let me read to you from a book that we consider to be inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's the very mind of God. It's black words on a white page. And Luke 4, 18 reads like this. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, this is a very significant statement that Jesus has just made here in Luke chapter 4. It's significant for many reasons. First of all, it's the beginning of his ministry, of his public ministry, uh, at least in a synagogue. It's also, or that synagogue is located in his hometown, in Nazareth. And then, folks, the things that he says here are um, uh, maybe somewhat confusing for you, but he makes it clearer as he, as he makes his final statement. But you'll notice <clears throat> that um, the power of the, or the, the, the drama of the statement is really found um, <clears throat> in verse 21 where he looks at his audience and he describes or he chooses a a prediction a piece of prophetic utterance from isaiah having read that from the scriptures in the synagogue he then says that statement that isaiah made prophesying of the messiah has been fulfilled in your hearing this ladies and gentlemen is a direct claim to his messiahship he is claiming that the one that Isaiah predicted is he and you'll notice that before that paragraph is over they try to kill him because of that claim he takes a prophetic passage and says that piece of prophecy is fulfilled right now by me and that's why i say this is such a significant statement on the part of jesus now harriet beecher stowe could not exactly say this is her text but it was a text that she used frequently when she was opposed by slave owners there can be no doubt i don't think that her christianity drove her into her abolition, abolitionist views. She saw um, her, her opposition to slavery as the direct and the distinct outgrowth of her understanding of things that Jesus had said both in Luke 4 and elsewhere. She was an opponent of slavery because of her of the way that she understood the things that Jesus said and taught. And you know, guys, that's one of the reasons that I think she's so beautiful. That is, 
um, her views of life and her views of politics and, uh, and morality and ethics grew out of what she thought Jesus taught. That is, her views out there grew out of her understanding of things that were said in here. Oh, that her tribe might increase. Oh, that we too would find all of our views of ethics and morality and politics and government and everything else growing out of what we see Jesus teaching in the New Testament, folks. Now, as I, I bet you already know, she, she comes from a very famous family. Her father, Lyman Beecher, was a... Um, was a very famous pastor, a, a, a widely known evangelist and a social reformer. Her father fathered 13 children. And all of them just about went on to have to be very much involved in Christian leadership. But the most famous of his 13 children was this daughter, Harriet. She outfamed all of her siblings. And I bet you know why. She wrote a book. One book. Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, and in that book, she described the atrocities of slavery. She saw slavery as an evil, but her views grew out of her views of everything but including slavery were formed as she was taught by Jesus Christ both in this passage that I've read in Luke 4 but throughout his teaching in public ministry she and her husband Calvin Stowe moved from Ohio I think it was Cincinnati moved from Ohio to Connecticut so that they could be involved in the un Underground Railroad, which I think you know was um, the thing that was used by escaping slaves. Her book was so controversial, as was she, um, that it had been banned in numerous areas in, in the United States. By the way, her book is still banned today in the nation of Russia, she was considered public enemy number one in the South. On one occasion, she was, she was invited by the White House to meet the president. And so she traveled to D.C., uh, came to the White House, and she was greeted by Abraham Lincoln. She was greeted this way. This is what he said to her. So you're the little woman who wrote the book that caused this great war. The Civil War, of course, he's referring to. The book went on to sell like five million copies, uh, two million in Europe. But in some circles, Harriet Beecher Stowe was blamed for, the, for causing the Civil War. But guys, my point has nothing to do with her, with the war or who caused it or what it was fought over. Um, I'm telling you all of that about 
Harriet Beecher Stowe so that I can read to you just one little section, one little paragraph out of her book. Um, there was no question that she was a committed believer and her opposition to slavery grew out of that commitment to Christ. And you see it all throughout her book that became, as Lincoln said, the cause of this great war. Um, as you know, Uncle Tom was a black slave. Uh, he was eventually beaten to death by the slave owner, Simon Legree. Now, you know that those are fictional characters, and this, is, this book is a piece of fiction. I hope you know that. But this section comes out of the book, which I thought, or I found to be quite moving, and I hope will be helpful as we prepare for the sacrament. I'm quoting from the book. Tom lay bleeding and writhing in anguish in the old slave shed. But his soul was not in the shed. For as the solemn light of dawn, the angelic glory of the morning star, looks in through the rude window, Tom thinks of the bright and morning star. He ponders on the great white throne with its ever-radiant rainbow. The white-robed multitude with voices as many waters, the crowns, the palms, the harps, these may all break upon his vision before that sun shall set again. And therefore, without shuddering or trembling, he hears the voice of his persecutor. How would you like it to be tied to a tree and have a slow fire lit up under ye? Asks Legree. Wouldn't that be pleasant, eh, Tom? Tom replies, Master, I know ye can do dreadful things, but he stretched himself upward and clasped his hands. But after ye've killed the body, there ain't no more ye can do. And oh, there's all eternity that comes after that. Eternity. Is that not a, a spellbinding word? Eternity. It has the gospel, it has the sound of the gospel in it, doesn't it? That is an eternity that awaits those who are made right with God, but and also an eternity that awaits those who have not come to faith in Christ. Folks, one of the things that I hope this sacrament does for us each month, if nothing else, I hope it reminds us of eternity. And it, an eternity that was bought and paid for for us by another broken body. A body that was put to death 
not by a slave owner. He was put to death by his father. So that that death could be the payment for our sin. And once sin is paid for, there is now available to all those who trust in Christ eternity. Ye can do dreadful things to the body, but after that, there's nothing else you can do. And after that comes eternity. An eternity bought and paid for. By the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. So my dear friend, come gaze once again at the centerpiece of the Christian message that prepares us for eternity. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you indeed remind us that this life is nothing more than a dress rehearsal for the real one. And that in this, this sacrament, we find once again a reminder that the thing that has prepared us to meet you and to enjoy an eternity of felicity and bliss is what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Meet us here, O God, and might our souls swell with joy in his finished work. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.